Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of or installment of the Bat Around here from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio here down at Press Bots here in Hamden, Maryland. Zach, good morning to you. It's a beautiful day here in Baltimore. The, the, gray, the gray skies are clearing up. It's starting to get a little nice out there. Still haven't had a cold day. It's late October, so I'm loving this kind of, I guess, and I'm not going to say what it, what it is because I don't want to be accused of anything, but it, it's almost like summer in October. How you doing today, man? Well, I don't like that. I'd rather it be cold, but no Ravens this weekend. That's got me a little bit bummed out, but, you know, I uh, still got the World Series and some exciting sports to go through. So, you know, everything's good. You like the cold? I love the cold. What? Definitely a cold weather person. What? I think you have to be in Maryland. I mean, it's half the year. No. One. One. It's not half the year. It's four months out of the year. That it's cold. Best it is, months out of the year. No. This, I might have to rethink my co-host. This is earth-shattering to me that you like the cold. Who? You're a skinny guy. How do you like the cold? I, I don't know. I just like it. I mean, I, I like the seasons. I like winter and fall a lot more than I like summer and spring. And that's just how it is for me. I don't, don't know. Just don't like being hot? I, I mean, I miss baseball in the winter. So there, there's one thing. But, you know, you do get football. So it's, you know, it's, it's half. Oh, man. Zach Goodman likes it when it's cold. You know, I have a friend who loves it when it's cold. Uh, he's actually my co-host on the football frenzy, Adam Rothgab. And I remember probably 15 years ago sitting in Denny's and him trying to convince me why winter is the best season. And he almost got me. He said, like, when you walk outside and you get hit in the face with that crisp winter air, how good it feels, how refreshing it is. And I get that. But that lasts for about 15 seconds. And then it is just bone-chillingly cold can't stand it. Anyway, moving on. I was driving in here today, man, and I was thinking about this show. And I was thinking about, not this particular show, but this show as a whole. And I was thinking about, man, it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. You you get my notes every Friday night, and it's it's a lot of work that goes into putting a Saturday, a two-hour Saturday morning baseball show together, especially in the offseason. But man, I love it. I absolutely love it. I was thinking about how much I love baseball, how much I love doing this show, how much I love that I have a platform where I get to talk about baseball, about Orioles baseball, literally every week, and people get to listen to me. It's not, I guess it's not a privilege to listen to me, but I have an audience, and I think that that is so awesome, and I'm just so grateful to be here. Uh, maybe it's that five-hour energy that's making me feel really good right now because uh, I didn't get much sleep again last night, but I just love doing the show, and I'm happy to be back doing it again this Saturday morning with you here on October 24th, again from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Zach, we got a pretty solid show going on today at... 10.20, as always, we have Stan the Fan Charles joining the program. Uh, 10.50 from MassinSports.com, we have Steve Molesky, who's going to talk all things Orioles with us. And then 11.35 from Fox Sports Florida, we have Orestes Destrade, who's going to join us. He covers the Rays for Fox Sports Florida, and he's going to talk about the, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays and the World Series as a whole. Plus, we have Take the Rake. You and I did not have... A good week in take to rake. You took Randy Arosarena, who homered last night. I took um, Cody Bellinger, who hit the game-winning home run in Game Seven, and then the big two-run homer in uh, to get the scoring started in Game One of the World Series. But pretty quiet. Other than that, 
And then we're also going to talk in our Orioles banter segment, and we hope it covers the whole segment. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Anthony Santander and how he's getting recognized, not for his offense right now, but for his defense. Um, he's a finalist for the Gold Glove. Uh, this is a guy who was a Rule 5 pick for the Orioles back in 2017, in December 2016, Rule 5 pick. He's got He got his feet wet in 2017 and in 2018, had some big hits. Um Needs to prove that he can stay healthy. But this is a guy who, for all intents and purposes, is becoming a star right before our eyes. And you don't see that too often from Rule 5 players. So that's nice to see. So we're going to talk about that um, about 11.15, 11.20 today. But let's talk about that World Series Game 3 last night. I'm not a betting man. I'm not a gambler, Zach. But I lost 20 bucks on that game last night. Charlie Morton came into that game with it was either a .57 or a .53 ERA. He had been dominant all postseason. His last time out, he went five and two-thirds innings pitch, gave up uh, just the one run, and had thrown only 66 pitches, which I'll talk about that in a little bit. I have a gripe with taking a pitcher out who's cruising with that low of a pitch count. Um, but I expected him to come out and dominate again last night. Walker Buehler's had uh, issues with his control all postseason, except for his last start. Man, he, he, he put the... He, he, put a whooping on that Rays lineup last night. He allowed just three hits, the one run, 10 strikeouts in six innings. He was he was damn impressive last night. Yeah, you have one of the older and better pitchers in baseball in Charlie Morton and then one of the younger and best pitchers in baseball in Walker Bueller. And they're very different pitchers. You know, I, I at this point, Walker Bueller is a is a fastball kind of guy who throws very hard, has a great slider, some great off speed stuff. And Charlie Morton is not quite that anymore he's not he hasn't had as great of a year in 2020 as he has in the past few you know maybe five years you could call it but I think they were both due I think I think Bueller was really due for a great game and I think Morton was due for a bad game because like you said Morton was pitching absolutely incredibly through the Rays postseason so far he had pitched in his last 15 innings and given up two runs so it's it's incredible as as to what he's done in this postseason and obviously I don't think the Rays could have counted on him to give them an incredible game last night. He didn't give them an incredible game. And Walker Bueller, you said he hadn't pitched that well. He had some control issues, but last night he came out and absolutely dominated. Yeah. I'm not a big fan. And we talked about we talked to Leo Mazzoni uh, last week about this. And so you got a little glimpse into how I feel about Major League Baseball. I'm not a fan of what the Dodgers did in game two, and they lost. It didn't work of having a bullpen game. The Rays have had a bullpen game, and they have one in the ALCS. You have to go all the way back to game four of the ALCS to see a Rays starting pitcher that went six innings. Other than that, Charlie Morton uh, in game seven went five and two-thirds innings and, again, was pulled after 66 pitches. But no other pitcher has has gone into the fifth inning. And to me, it's like you have... Okay, the Rays have three legit... Honestly, they have four. Legitimate starting pitchers. You have Charlie Morton, Tyler Glass now, Blake Snell, and um, uh, Yarborough, who's going tonight. And the Dodgers have four, three legitimate starters with Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, and Dustin May. And Dustin May's not even starting. He's They're using him in sh- not even long relief, in short relief. All postseason, this dude had like a 2.58 ERA this year, and was a starting was a legitimate starting pitcher. Throws a hundred. Why aren't you starting him? 
yeah, they should definitely be starting him. I mean, this is a guy who really dominated throughout the regular season. He didn't make the team out of out of the original camp, as I remember, and he came up a few days later and he took a spot for an injured starter and he pitched really well and he ended up having a really good season. I don't know why you would use him in short relief. I, I think a lot of these teams try to think differently in the playoffs and they try to use some of their relievers as starters and some of their starters as relievers and they try to let them throw less pitches and they just try to keep guys fresh overall and I'm not sure it always works I mean you know maybe it does for some teams but Dustin May should absolutely be on the mound Julio Urias is another guy you didn't even mention but he's another guy who's been absolutely fantastic and you know he should really be pitching as well and he's another starter in this in this great Dodgers rotation but Dustin May should absolutely be pitching it worked. For, it worked last year for the Nationals. Look, the the Nationals aren't World Series champions in 2019 without doing that, without using starting pitchers out of the bullpen. But the difference here is that the Dodgers had the second best bullpen ERA in the majors this year, and they had great starting pitching. So you can make an argument that you can have your starters go in there, and then you can use that 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 awesome bullpen. You don't need Dustin May to come in as a one- or two-inning reliever. Last year, the Nationals, they had historically the worst bullpen in the history of the game. Now, three different teams were worse than that this year, but that really shouldn't count. Cause, uh, should it count? Should no, it count? Because no. it's a 60-game season, and if we're going to name MVPs and Cy Youngs and we're going to have a World Series and we're going to name a world champion for a 60-game season, should everything count? Because... Uh, that that bull, that Phillies bullpen ERA of 770 in 60 games, there's no way that they would have gone an entire season with a bullpen that bad. 162 games, they would have made a move. They would have found somebody to get somebody out there. That ERA would have been down probably still bad, but in the low fives. I don't think there's any chance that three different teams have bullpen ERAs above six. But anyway, back to my original point. The Nationals last year, they had to use Patrick Corbin out of the bullpen because... They had nobody else. It was use Corbin to get to Hudson and to Doolittle. And that's a formula that worked for them. And that's how they won a world championship. So it, it works if you need it. The Dodgers and the Rays, number two and number three in bullpen ERA uh, in all of baseball this year, and they have great starting pitching, you don't need to go that route. And when you have a short series and you have three starters and you have two different days off in the series, you don't need a bullpen game. The Dodgers, if they start Dustin May, because he only threw in it like an inning and a third on Sunday. So if they start him in game two on Wednesday, they might be up 3-0 right now, and this this series is over. You let the Rays get a win, now it's 2-1, to one, and the Rays are going to come at you today, and they're, they're going to fight hard. They're the home team. They do not want to lose. As, uh, now look, there's no home team at Globe Life Park that's not played in Tampa Bay, it's not played in L.A., but they, they have the hammer, man. They, they, they get the last at bat in the ninth inning if they're trailing, if the game is tied. They're not going to let the Dodgers win these ne- both of these next two games. They got to win one of them, and they I think they will. It may be tonight, and maybe tomorrow. If it, it could be tomorrow, you said Kershaw goes tomorrow, right? Uh, so I just I hate bullpen games. I hate them. I think too much emphasis being taken off starting pitching now. Uh, you you need a workhorse. You need a workhorse. I don't. I'm a curmudgeon. I'm a curmudgeon. You know, I, I feel like John Smoltz right now, man. I, I just I hate the direction that baseball is going in. So much emphasis on pitch counts. Uh, 
No reason Charlie Morton should be taken out of a game with 66 pitches, allowing one run through five and two-thirds. No reason. Kevin Cash, overthinking. Anyway, uh, back to it. Austin Barnes made a little history last night. He had a, he had a home run in the sixth inning, and in the, in the fourth inning, he had a suicide squeeze bunt to drive in a run. He's the only the second player in Major League in the history of the World Series. In the 115-year history of the World Series, he's only the second player and the first since 1961, Hector Lopez of the Yankees, to hit a home run and to have a suicide squeeze bunt in the same World Series game. So Austin Barnes coming in, having a nice, a nice game for himself in Game 3. Really the hero of that game for the Dodgers. And then the Rays. I want to talk about this. Is the baseball still juiced? It's got to be, right? A team like the Tampa Bay Rays sets the postseason record with 29 home runs in in the postseason. The Dodgers hit 118 home runs. They, If you expand that out over the course of a full season, that's 318 home runs. That would have set the Major League record. It would have been the third straight year that a new Major League record was set for home runs by a team after 20 years of no new record being set. Yeah, it's incredible. This is not a lineup that I would ever see breaking any kind of postseason record as far as home runs go, or any regular season record at that. This is just not that powerful of a lineup. They have a couple good bats. I mean, Manny Margot, Hunter Renfro, there are some guys that can hit home runs, no doubt. That you know, No one's disputing that. But to say they were going to hit the most home runs out of any postseason ever is absolutely incredible, because they don't have that star power in the lineup. I talked about it last week. I don't think they have that one piece that's going to get them over the edge hitting-wise, and they have to be carried by their pitching, because they don't have that incredible of a lineup but some of these guys who really just aren't that good of players really really showed up in this postseason yeah I like that you mentioned that they that they don't have the star power because it's amazing to me that the Rays they've had nine winning seasons in the last 13 years they've been to the playoffs six times they've been to the World Series twice after Evan Longoria and Carl Crawford who they traded away as soon as he was up for a contract other than those two guys, who have they ever had whose name you remember in that lineup? Yet every year, it seems like they win 90 games and they make it into the playoffs. And for the second time, or in a World Series, their their farm system is just that good, huh? Yeah, they produce incredible players, and they've had so much luck, I think, throughout their farm. You look at guys in any top 10 or top 30 uh, of prospects in an organization— and, you know, maybe five of them, maybe ten of them work out if you get lucky out of your top 30. But the Rays have had a lot more of that. They just have a pipeline that keeps producing this incredible talent. Randy Rosarena, a guy they made a trade for, he's new there. And, you know, probably the guy but most people would know across baseball, if you asked a relatively uneducated baseball fan who's the best hitter on the Tampa Bay Rays, they'd say a Rosarena. But then you look at the Dodgers, and they have Bellinger, and they have Betts, and they have these incredible bats. And the Rays just don't have that, but yet they're hitting pretty well in this postseason. It's it's really incredible to me. Yeah, it's it's again, it, you don't want to take anything away from the players because you still have to make contact, solid contact to hit the ball out of the ballpark. But I do think the ball is still juiced. I don't think that they changed anything. Maybe they did at the beginning of the year and they realized, hey, look, we need we need revenue. We need more people watching. Let's get those juice baseballs back. I don't know. Major League Baseball will never admit to it, but everybody knows. You had two teams hit over 300 home runs last year. You had four teams that would have set the new Major League record if it weren't for um, 
the Yankees and the Twins just going bananas and hitting over 300 home runs. It's it's insane to me. It's absolutely insane. Look, we got we got to move on here uh, before we get stand the fan on the on the line. Orioles are instructional leagues right now. Not much information coming out of there. I looked high and low, far and wide. There's not much information coming out of there. I did get from Rockabaco's blog um, that some international prospects. Are standing out. Uh, Luis Sanchez, a Dominican-born 17-year-old pitching prospect, apparently is touching the mid-90s, and they're still working on his mechanics. So he's, they think he's got a pretty high ceiling. Um, and then Luis Ortiz, not not the big dude that they got in that trade a couple of years ago with John, for Jonathan Scope, who has really just flamed out. Uh, but a different guy, uh, the Orioles signed last season. He's 18 years old. They signed him to a $400,000 signing bonus last year during the Internationals uh, signing uh, period. Reportedly pretty advanced for an 18-year-old. He's the Orioles' 29th-ranked prospect, uh, according to MLB Pipeline. So nice to know that the Orioles have some young pitching uh, that's faring pretty well at pretty young, eight, 17 and 18 years old down there at uh, in Sarasota for the Instructional League. Uh, Anthony Santander, we mentioned he's a Gold Glove finalist along with Joey Gallo and Clint Frazier. I think those are three names nobody expected to be finalists for a Gold Glove, like pretty much ever. Um and as I said, we have Stan the Fan Charles at 1020, Steve Molesky from Masson at 1050, and the rest is Destrade, TV analyst for Tampa Bay Rays for Fox Sports Florida at 1135. A couple things, and this is going to lead into your sounding off uh, segment here, Zach. A couple things that have been announced. One, the competition committee is taking a serious look at the shift. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of, you know. I can't think of the word right now. I don't know why I can't think of the word right now, but they're trying to, oh, limit, limit. They're trying to limit the shift. Um, and basically, what from what I read a couple of years ago is what, I think what they're going to try to enforce is you have to have two infielders on either side of the bag at second base, which I like. I hate the shift. Even when the Orioles are playing another team and somebody hits a ball up the middle and you have Jose Iglesias standing right behind second base to field it, I've gone, that should be a hit. That should be a hit. I, I'm glad it's not, but that should be a hit. I think the shift it was the main reason that Chris Davis started to struggle, and then it just things just compounded from there. But I, I blame the shift for Chris Davis's um, fall off, uh, fall from grace, if you will. I absolutely hate the shift. That's my sounding off right now. You want to sound off because this year, and apparently this year only, the DH was universal. And apparently baseball is going back to just being in the American League for the designated hitter next year. Uh, they said that if it's gonna, if they want to switch to it being universal from here on out, it's going to have to be bargained in the new collective bargaining agreement after next season. I think it's a waste. Nobody wants to watch pitchers hit. Like, there's like three pitchers in baseball that people want to see hit, and that's about it. Uh, I, I just... I do not like the idea of a one-league-only DH, and apparently you don't like it either. Yeah, I'm right there with you, especially on the shift, but I do want to talk about the DH today because Lavelle E. Neal, he's an MLB reporter, he said that the NL will not have the DH in 2021. This really bothers me for a multitude of reasons. Number one is what Paul said about 
Nobody wanting to see pitchers hit. I don't want to see pitchers hit. It's personally boring to me. There are not even that many these days who can lay down a decent bunt. You know, to, to have two different rules in two different leagues is just absolutely insane to me. I don't understand it. You've got guys like Nelson Cruz, Miguel Cabrera. They're benefiting off this this DH. They can extend their careers, and guys who haven't played right field or first base for years can now be a DH and really extend their career and actually help out teams. You know, so the the fact that we're using two different rules is the big thing for me. You know, it, it just doesn't really make any sense. Then we go to the World Series and we play by one rule depending on whose stadium we're at, you know, next year. It, it just doesn't make any sense. It, it never really has made any sense. And then, you know, you have guys that really just benefit off of this. That's the number second thing. And then financially, I think it's really good for baseball because I think people want to see great players hitting home runs. They don't want to see pitchers laying down bunts. They want to see Nelson Cruz hitting 40 bombs a year. People love that. MLB really needs to expand and get their product to younger people. And I think they can do that by having a DH and more home runs. That's all reasons to bring back the DH. You know, maybe this will change, but I really think it should change now. Well, and I certainly do agree with you. I think that the DH does help extend careers. Does David Ortiz have a Hall of Fame caliber career probably not if if there's no dh same edgar martinez is not a hall of famer if he's not a dh um i do disagree with you that nelson cruz wouldn't have wouldn't be still playing um that bat they'd find a place to put him they they they, they'd put a chain and a a stake at first base for him or they put him in right field they'd put him somewhere uh if there was no dh i i just but he also plays in the American League. One, one thing on Cruz, though, he hasn't played uh, anywhere but DH for the past two years, which results in 57 home runs over this past two years. So you never know. They might have put him somewhere else. I'm not sure how his glove would have fared anywhere, but you know that's that's remains to be seen, I guess. Well, I want to get Stan, the fan's opinion on this, because Stan was around when they implemented the DH, and he's around now as they went from universal back to one league only. Stan, first and foremost, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Glad to have you back on the program for your weekly segment. Sam, how do you feel about this? Because the Universal DH, in my opinion, was was a success this year, and now they want to go back to putting it in the American League only next season. Well, I I would say I pump my brakes on being too upset about any of these rule changes. You know, um, they're, they're, they're entering a negotiation stage right now, the players and management of MLB, and this is way, way, way too early to uh, adjust or or get our minds wrapped around what the rules of engagement will be next year. Um, You know, I mean, why would they go backwards if if the same situation occurs next year and they're playing 90 or 100 games? Uh, I could see all these rules being back in play next year. I think it's way too early. Um, and, And let's be honest. The Players Association would wants to have the, the universal DH in both leagues. Okay, it's yeah. more money for the union because the guy who's the DH, the, the, the um, that with thirty DHs are going to make a lot more money than than the thirty pitchers at the end of roster. So um, there's no question the Players Association wants it. This is a first uh, shot uh, above the bow. I mean, are you guys at this point on October 22nd, are you convinced that they're going to just, everything's going to be back to normal next year? No. That they're going to play 162 games and there's going to be fans 
in the stands. I don't see it. No, I'm 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 certainly not convinced, especially with uh, cases back on the rise. We still have to see what's going to happen when when it gets cold out again and this virus ramps back up. I'm I'm, I'm not convinced. I think it's ra- I think it's ramping back up right now. Right. I mean, I had the largest increase in cases yesterday. And we're losing about a thousand people a day uh, are passing away from this. So um, I think this is just the first shot uh, across the bow. I mean, um, Manfred has said that he'd really like to see the the um, you know the extra inning rule stay in place. Uh, I think a lot of people like that this past year. Yeah, I I liked. Yeah, I, I didn't like it at the outset. But then it, I, it, it, it I didn't either. It was it was when I first heard about this rule about five years ago. I thought that it was insanity. But I have to be honest with you. As much as I, I'm I'm a huge baseball fan, so there's nothing oh, yeah. more I like to sit down at seven thirty or ten o'clock to watch a game, and then suddenly it'd be four in the morning and the game's still going on. I love that uh, when it, the rare cases it happens. But I got to be honest. So many of the extra innings are very unentertaining. They're just, they just go on, no action. That thing, that rule really creates a very interesting chess match that's going on with how to try and get that run across. And then what I find interesting is that run is so easy to score that the, the, the next team up has a pretty darn good chance of getting a run across, you know. Absolutely. If you don't score in the top half of the inning, there's a good chance you're not winning that ball game. And or if you or if you give up a run in the top half of the inning, there's a very good chance you'll come back and tie the game. What I saw that happen was too often it led to a bigger inning, a two or three run inning, and that ended up being the difference. But I I I really found it much more entertaining than than the normal uh, extra innings. The only thing I would probably do, I would probably have a, I would probably not start that rule in the 10th inning. I would start it maybe in the 12th inning. I'd have a couple innings of regular extra innings and then go to that, almost like the way they do in hockey. Yeah, like a shootout. Where they have an overtime period, then they go to the shootout. I agree with you. I think that that could be interesting. And I, and like I said, I, I wasn't a fan of the idea, but when it got implemented and they actually did it, it, it made you feel like your team could win any game that they got into extra innings in, which was a yeah. nice feeling, a nice... Zach, did you, like, did you like the rule or you hated it? No, I actually like the rule. Um, I, I yeah. saw the Ironbirds with, with the minor league season uh, a few years ago. They implemented that rule, and I thought it really worked well. You know, I was at a few Ironbirds games where it happened, and it mm-hmm. was, you know, they ended up being 10 or 11 or at, at the la- latest, you know, 12 inning games. So I really enjoy the rule. I, I just, like Paul said, I think it gives every team a chance to win games. You know, even if you're the worst team, the Orioles, I think, benefited off it a lot this year. I mean, I, I thought they really won some of those games. The one um, with, uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now, but they, they scored a walk off hit um, from, mm-hmm. from a few of those. Pavaleka. Pavaleka, that's right. Um, they scored a few of those uh, extra inning runs off you know, the runner being a second base, and they won some games they probably shouldn't have. So I enjoy it. Now, Stan, mo- moving on to the World Series, we got the Rays Dodgers matchup, only the second time since 2000 that the top seed from each league faced off in the World Series, the other being 2013 with the Red Sox against the Cardinals. Um, 
before we talk about the World Series, I do want to talk about how, how they got there. Both series went to Game 7. In Game 7 with the Braves and the Dodgers, the Braves mustered only three hits. They had a 3-2 lead in the fourth inning with runners on second and third, a run already home, and nobody out. Marquecas grounds into that fielder's choice double play. They don't score. And then 17 of their last 18 batters were retired while, the, while in back-to-back innings the Dodgers tied and then took the lead in the game for good. Was this more a result of the Dodgers' bullpen, which was the second best in baseball all year, just being that good, or did the Braves crack under the pressure? I think a little bit of both uh, took place there. You know, when you get a team down 3-1, to one, and believe me, I was in Pittsburgh when the Orioles took a three-games-to-one lead it's over the Pirates soon. in 1979. Um, and my buddy and I, we were visiting a friend who worked in sports so he got the tickets and after saturday's game we went out that night and he and i kept discussing do would you rather be in pittsburgh when we clinch it or be back in baltimore for like the you know the night of celebration and we ended up the game started at four o'clock on sunday and we got up and told our friend we're really sorry we'll pay you for the tickets but we, we want to be back in Baltimore, and we left about 10 o'clock and got back to Baltimore around 2, 2.30, and the Orioles never won another game. Uh, so we, when you have a team up 3-1, to one, you really have to shut the door. And, um, you know, the Dodgers are, let's be honest, they are a more talented overall team yeah. than the Atlanta Braves. And I think, but I think they, it wasn't just a choke. I think that the Dodgers' superior talent came into play. I mean, that Dodger offense, when it's really going, um, it, it's a tough, it's a tough gauntlet to get through. Oh, I, I, absolutely. I, I look at the and the reason I asked that the Braves choke. I felt like they were a little overly aggressive in Game Seven uh, of those final eighteen batters. Twelve mm-hmm. at bats out of the eighteen saw four pitches or less. And that's just, yeah. to me, that's just too aggressive when you're when you're in a tight game. You need to see some pitches and get some guys on base. And they have one walk over the game's final five innings. It just it wasn't good enough. But again, like you said, the, the Dodgers have arguably the most talented roster maybe I've ever I, certainly I've ever seen in in my lifetime. It's, it's awfully good when you have uh, Bellinger batting sixth, and you can see the way Roberts, uh, you know, has the lineup. He doesn't with that rule where. A pitcher's going to come in and pitch the three hitters. He likes to. He likes not to give that advantage to the. the you know, if you bring in a left-handed pitcher, you're going to have to pay for it because he's only going to have one or two left-handed batters, not three. So, uh, mm. you know, I think Roberts is doing a great job with that. I mean, I kept looking and I'm going, why is Bellinger hitting sixth? And then I I notice he he doesn't have back-to-back left-handed or right-handed hitters, which I think makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. It's it's still pretty amazing to me that you have the 2019 National League MVP batting sixth in your lineup. And now look, at, he, yeah. he didn't have a great year this year. Uh, no, he, he did and, and he yeah. struggled a bit in the playoffs. But it's Cody freaking Bellinger. If they yeah. played 162 games, those numbers would have been there at the end of the year. And you see that bat kind of starting to come around here. Uh, he hit that, that game-winning home run in Game 7, hit the big two-run home to put the Dodgers up for good in Game 1 of the World Series. I'm a huge fan of Cody Bellinger. I think he has the prettiest swing in the game. So, But to have him batting six is is pretty it's remarkable. Insane. Yeah, and, now, and look at Muncie batting fourth. 
not putting up big numbers except that he's walked 18 times in the mm-hmm. postseason. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, and I just I just read Jeff Passon's piece on ESPN.com. You you realize that's the first time a pitcher has struck out 10 batters in six innings in the World Series. You know, left the game with 10 with 10 strikeouts. I didn't realize that was the first time. I knew that it was a pretty yep. remarkable feat. I didn't realize yep. it was the first time in World Series history. Yep. Now, with the ALCS, the Rays went up 3 nothing over the Astros. It was a foregone conclusion they were going to be in the World Series, but then pump the brakes. Astros, yep. win, Astros win three straight, and they had to go to Game 7, and they turned to their ace, Charlie Morton, who got lit up last night. But he goes, yeah. he goes five and two thirds innings of two hit shutout baseball on just sixty six pitches. Stand now, look, hindsight's twenty twenty. It worked out for them, but that 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 raised bullpen's a little bit taxed. Why did they pull Morton after just sixty six pitches when he was cruising in Game Seven? I feel like you're playing with fire there. Well, I think they they felt the opposite. I think they felt, hey, if we let him pitch, you know, ninety pitches or you know. 95 pitches we might not be able to get them until game four and uh they 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 made that calculated gamble and it didn't really pay off that that they got the real charlie morton uh or maybe they did get the real charlie morton i don't know he just didn't he didn't have the uh sharpness on his pitches last night that he had in that game against the astros and and some of it is, is the better lineup i think you know from top to bottom. Yeah, uh, I I can certainly see that, and Charlie Morton's one of those guys. Now, look, when you're, I mean, what beat them? What beat them last night wasn't that their bullpen was taxed; it's that Charlie Morton didn't deliver. You know, I thought uh, my guess is the over under on that game last night was six and a half runs mm-hmm. with Morton and Bueller facing off. It was just interesting how it was either six and a half or seven. And it ended up at eight with Rosarino's home run. So it's interesting. Stan, do you think that the reason Morton has not pitched as well in the World Series as he did in the ALCS is possibly because he was facing off against his former team in the Houston Astros? Do you think there's any you know kind of rivalry there between him and the, the rest of the, his former teammates? No, I didn't. I didn't sense that at all. I think he just. I think when he's really on, he's capable of some great things. You know, he did not have a good game last night, but I'm not sure if it's it's his last 20, 20, well, it couldn't be his World Series. It's his last 20 postseason innings. I think he had given up two runs before last night's game. Oh, yeah, his ERA yeah. Was, was was like .57 going into right. last night's game. He's been... He's been his postseason ERA, right? Yeah, right, right. He, yeah. He's been yeah. stupendous. This, he's been this unbelievable. Yeah. You know, and now, now you're looking at Bueller is getting into some rarefied company as well now, you know. Well, now, now we move on to the World Series. Dodgers are up two games to one. In game one, Dodgers, they asserted their dominance. They came out there and they said, we're the best team in baseball and we're going to show you. Uh, that game was pretty much over after the fourth inning. They win that game 8-3. to three. Uh, Clayton Kershaw... Just absolutely dominant, kind of quieting his critics uh, with a really nice World Series performance. We all know of Kershaw's struggles in the postseason. This was a nice way for him to say, "Hold up, just a minute. I- I'm probably the best pitcher of the last decade, and I'm gonna I'm gonna show that tonight." Uh, game two, Stan, I am I am not a fan of bullpen games. I do not like them. I think when you have as many good starting pitchers as the Rays and Dodgers have, there's no excuse 
for a bullpen game. The Dodgers went with a bullpen game instead of starting a guy like Dustin May, who'd only thrown an inning uh, and a third on Sunday. Uh, and they lose that game. They lose it six to four because the bullpen was ineffective. Um, I feel like they could have. I feel like the series could be over right now. They could be going for a, a sweep if they hadn't used that bullpen game. What are your thoughts on that? Because I'm just not a fan of it. Well, I mean, I look, I don't think anybody likes a, a bullpen game, and it's uh, interesting that now the Rays down two to one. They're they're going with a bullpen game tonight. Apparently, um, it's 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 really the 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 twist in this postseason was playing those uh, those league championship series seven games without a day off. Yeah, um, that's really what what changed that. Where you you really needed four starters, and and the Dodgers didn't have even three really top notch starters that they could count on, and they chose to use Urias. You there? Did we lose you? What's that? It, it sounded like we lost you. You still there? You, yeah. you hear me? Yeah, we got okay. you. Uh, they ended up using Urias in a very important bullpen role. In that game, now he's starting Game Four. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm told, I'm told that the teams were unaware. Uh, this is hard to believe, and I haven't tracked down the, the whether it's true or not. But I was told that the, the the teams that were in the playoffs did not know when the trade deadline came around that there was there was not going to be an off day in that league championship round. That's that's, uh, you know, that's news to uh, me. That's pretty staggering news that they wouldn't have known that. And, you know, it really bothered me with the Dodgers having such a great chance to win the World Series. I, I couldn't wrap my hands around why they didn't go out and get Lance Lynn, Dylan Bundy, or somebody, um, you know, that, that could have really given them uh, three really strong starting pitchers. And then I read the you know that they've got David Price coming back next year, so they probably didn't want to give up um, a lot of prospects for the pitcher that they probably would have had to acquire who would have had more time than one you know the end of this year on the contract. So I think that's one of the reasons the Dodgers they they sort of calculated the um, you know the the scenarios and they chose not to get another starting pitcher which I thought was going to damn them. But I know we're not there yet, but I just wanted to throw in that Kenley Jansen's comeback uh, in these playoffs has been nothing short of astounding. Uh, uh, How he's worked at refining some mechanical issues he was having, because I didn't think it was mechanical. I thought it was just sort of, hey, this guy's sort of run his fill of pitches but he has looked absolutely fantastic, uh, despite the home run he gave up. Yeah, I, I, for me, with, with Kenley Jansen, and again, it's because of this truncated season, that you have to take everything that happens in a 60-game season sort of with a grain of salt. Like when you saw the Christian Yelich and Jose Altuve and Cody Bellinger had really down years, you have to imagine that if they play another 102 games, that those numbers are going to be there, right around their career averages. And I kind of felt the same way about Kenley Jansen. To me, um, I didn't. I didn't. I, I I thought Kenley Jansen's days as a, a top flight closer were really done. 
and they 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 could be Stan. They could be. I mean, there's that adrenaline and that 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 moxie of pitching in the postseason that kind of gets people to pitch above their heads. You look at what happened with the Nationals last year, where they had an all-time bad bullpen, and yet their their bullpen was a big reason they ended up winning the championship last year. Sometimes you 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 play above your head when it means the most. Um, well, here here's his his numbers last year. He had the highest run run average of his career in 2019. It was 3.71, and in 63 innings, he gave up nine home runs, Ooh. which is one every what uh, seven innings. Right. Uh, this year, he gave up just two home runs in in 24 and a third innings during the regular season. So uh, maybe I'm maybe I was way off. I don't know. But uh, I thought the Kenley Jansen I saw last year and what I kept, and I'm not saying I saw all of his performances this year, but when I looked in the, the stat line and saw that he, you know, gave up another two home runs here or one here, I just didn't think he was really in the 3.78 ERA last year, 3.71 ERA spoke to that. But, uh, you know, I mean, when he was at his best, in 2016-17, he had earned run averages of 1.83 and 1.32. Yeah, he's pitching. 109 strikeouts in 68 innings. Uh, last year in 63 innings, he had 80 strikeouts. And this year in 24 and 30, he had 33 strikeouts. So uh, you make of it what you will. But I thought he was done, and I have to, you know, I have to – of a mea culpa and say I was wrong. Yeah, he's pitched 48 games in the postseason over his career, and he has a really low 2.26 ERA. That's very yep. solid for 55 innings pitched, and his whip is only .79. So Kenley Jansen, over his postseason career, has been absolutely fantastic, and the Dodgers have been in a lot of postseasons, so he's helped them out very many yep. times down the road, and this is just another postseason again where he's just helped them out a little bit more than he did in the regular season. Uh, well said, Zach. Well said. Well, so now, Stan, we, we head into Game 4 tonight with the the Rays kind of back on their heels. You know what I mean? They, they have their backs in the corner. They're facing, you know, the the best team in baseball in the Dodgers who have all the star power. The the Rays have, you know, they have Randy Rosarena and, you know, a bunch of other guys who have played collectively <laughs> as a team, but not the star power of the Dodgers. Can the Rays get back in this? And look, it's hard to say that they're out of the series because it's two to one, but it almost feels like that. And that they lose tonight, that the series is basically over. Can they get back in this and take this six, seven games and possibly even win this World Series? I I don't see it. I I didn't see it before the series, and I'm more convinced. I mean, you're going into Game Four tonight, and as as I understand it, they're pitching a bullpen game. Yeah. So, uh, that, to me, that's not an optimum. Uh, as good as cash is at wheeling and dealing and handling the bullpen, um, I, I, I that doesn't strike me as a recipe for a win tonight for the uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays. And and then I, if you're if you're down three uh, one going into a game five, and Kershaw's in there with all the history of him. You know, having been a pretty poor postseason pitcher for much of his career, um, and based on how he pitched in Game One, uh, I don't like the Rays' chances of winning that Game Five against Kershaw. 
Yeah, it, it, it doesn't look good. They certainly need to win the game tonight. Now, you have Yarborough going up against Urias this this evening in the World Series. Uh, Urias is, is one of those guys that he's he's pitched really well. He's actually 4-0 in the postseason this year with a .57 ERA, but he's pitched five innings twice and three innings in every other start. Kind of similar as far as how far they let Yarborough go, about a three- to five-inning pitcher. So it looks like it could be a bullpen game for both teams. Uh, is this yeah, just a battle? You know, once you mention Yar- Yarbrough's a very interesting pitcher to me. You know, I was the first guy in my fantasy baseball league in, I think, 2017 to have Yarbrough, and he went on and had really nice seasons in 18 and 19. Uh, or actually, I think I had him in 18. He had a terrific season in 19, and he had, for the most part, he did more of that this year. He's very, very entertaining pitcher. Very, uh, you know, he, he's liable to give them a little bit better game than when I heard the phrase bullpen game. So uh, they need Ryan Yarbrough to give them four or five really good innings tonight. And they got to chip away at uh, Urias. And I don't expect Urias to, well, it's a, it's a pitch count situation with him. You know, if he, if he gets in one or two innings of easy ball, he could, he could get through five, you know. Well, yeah, and Yarborough is one of those guys, and that's basically how they've how the Rays have used him throughout his career. His first two years in the big leagues, he combined to win twenty seven games, but he only threw a hundred about one hundred and forty innings each of those yep. two years. So he's about a four to five inning pitcher. If they get four to five solid innings out of him, it's going to come down to whose bullpen is better. And you're looking at the number two and number three bullpens in all of baseball uh, this, for the 2020 season. It could be an interesting game. And again, I'm not a big bullpen game guy, but if it's mm-hmm. going to be that, it might as well be with these two guys starting it out for you, and it's just a, a, a battle of who's going to be better. Well, it's, it's um, you know, now that I hear it's uh, Yarborough, it gives me a little bit of hope that they can stay in the game. I still like the Dodgers to win the game, and I have to be honest, uh, the way Glass now is pitching, um, you know, he just hasn't been the same pitcher since he's come back from his injury. You know, yeah, he certainly uh, has, and the strikeout numbers are there, but it seems like he, he'll have one start where he gives up one run, and the next start he gives up five. He's been yeah. inconsistent. Uh, so the way he's least. pitching and the way Morton pitched the other day, I don't love the uh, race chances sitting against uh, you know Urias than, than uh, Kershaw. So No, I, 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 I tend to agree with you there, but... They don't play the games on paper, Stan. We know that, so we'll see. No, that's why they play the games. Right, you know? exactly. So we'll, we'll as see. My late, as my late Uncle Herb used to say, when a big upset would happen, and you'd go, how, how the hell did that happen? He'd go, hey, those guys put their, their pants legs on one leg at a time. You know, Absolutely. just like you do. So. Absolutely. Stan, we got to get a break, but thanks so much for joining the program. Enjoy the pleasure. rest of the Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of the World Series. We'll talk to you next Saturday. Thank you. See you, Zach. Thank you. See you later. Bye. Bye. And once again, with his weekly 1020 segment here on the Bat Around, that was Stan the Fan Charles coming to you from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. And just want to remind you the Bat Around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. And if you're missing your Stan the Fan fix, you can get it twice a week 
on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley talk baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein talk to a newsmaker in the sports world. Find both shows via the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at PressBoxOnline.com. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with Orioles Hall of Famer Mike Bordick, while Stan and Gary held a special show celebrating October being recognized as Maryland Horse Month. I did not know that was a thing. Coming up on Monday night, former Orioles pitcher Dave Johnson uh, joins Stan and Ross at 8 o'clock. So tune into that show to hear Dave Johnson with Stan and Ross Grimsley. We got to get a break, but when we come back, very excited to have Steve Molesky from MassInSports.com join the program and talk some Orioles baseball with us. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ravens Super Bowl 35 championship run with Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, Jonathan Ogden, and more helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Ryan Mountcastle and the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles' rebuild. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. Also, you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son... We're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate it, uh, Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate it, y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you. For having me, I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dicky V, Dick Vitale. Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. Glory Days Grill's Oktoberfest menu is available now. Our fall seasonal menu is available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new chicken schnitzel or the delicious Prussian pretzel rolls. Glory Days is open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Bat Around. Once again, I'm your host, Paul Valley, joined by my weekly co-host, Zach Goodman. On the line right now, we have somebody who I'm very 
excited to talk to. This is the guy to go to when it comes to uh, minor league minor league players in the in the Orioles. Um, we have Steve Molesky from MassInSports.com. Steve, how are you today, man? What's up, guys? How's it going? We're, we're doing pretty well, doing pretty well. Rolling along nicely here on a Saturday morning in Baltimore. Steve, how do you feel about the playoffs, the wild card round this year, and how things have turned out? You know, I just congratulate everybody in baseball from the offices in New York through the staffs of all the teams that worked so hard to give us a season. I mean, there were many reasons to doubt it could even get going. There were reasons to doubt once it got going, it would continue. There were reasons to doubt we get to the World Series, but here we are. So, you know, strange, strange year, but I think everybody did the best they could under tough circumstances. And, um, you know, two deserving teams are playing right now. Somebody's going to, the Rays are either going to win their first or the Dodgers are going to end a long drought. So someone's going to be real happy here in a few days. Yeah, I, I thought that was the coolest thing about this World Series. You're either going to see a first-time winner or a team end a 30-plus year drought, which is pretty special to see in the World Series um, this day and age. Now, you mentioned two deserving teams, Steve. This is only the second time since 2000 that the top seed from each league is facing off in the World Series, the other two being uh, 2013 when the uh, Red Sox faced the St. Louis Cardinals. Do you think that that somewhat silences the critics who were not for the expanded playoff format this year? Well, I don't think so because it's only one year. I mean, uh, you know, both those teams went to seventh game, so it could have been two very different teams. True. Um, and, you know, this year worked out that those teams made it, but a lot of years in baseball it doesn't work out that way because when you play a five- or even a seven-game series after 162, most years, obviously, that still can create a strange result. Some player can get hot. I mean, the Orioles, the year they first got into the wild card after the long drought in 2012, they lost a five-game series to the Yankees where they were very competitive, but a big-money pitcher named C.C. Sabathia beat him in game one and beat him in game five. So and I, I look at that as almost one guy really beat him. Uh, that year, and that can happen in baseball, too. So I enjoyed it this year, 16. They had some intriguing matchups in the first round, like the Rays and the Jays. It was interesting to watch. So it was fun to watch all those games. I didn't obviously watch every single one. I don't think anybody could. Right. But to have all that baseball was a little mini baseball version of March Madness for a couple of days there. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And, and real quick, you mentioned that 2012 series with uh, – the Orioles and the Yankees, and my co-host here has a podcast called Nate Hit the Foul Pole, and I think a lot of us in Baltimore uh, kind of feel like the Orioles got robbed in 2012. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. That was controversial. Orioles-Yankees in, in October, always something strange happens. Always, man. Let's not let's not even get into that because it still hurts even, even 24 years later. Um so the Rays in the World Series for the second time in franchise history. They've had nine winning seasons in 13 years, been to the playoffs six times in the World Series twice. Uh, they don't give out monster contracts. They don't have a ton of star power, but they have an incredible farm system that keeps them competitive year in and year out. Steve, are the Tampa Bay Rays the blueprint for what the Orioles want to be? In a sense they are, but in a sense they aren't because the difference is going to be, and some fans doubt this now, but I, I believe they'll be proven wrong, that when it comes time for the Orioles to spend some money, they will to get the final piece or two if they feel like they get to that point. Is it going to be a Verlander type deal? I don't know about that, but the Rays, 
are usually not in a position to do that, and I think the Orioles will be. And I think that'll be the difference, that they are there bottoming this payroll out so they can bring it back up over the course of the next few years by signing some of their own talent and trying to keep it, but also by maybe adding a key piece or two when the time comes, which the Rays don't seem to be able to do, I mean, with their situation. But their success to me, you look at all the front office people and guys who are managers and coaches around the game that come from the Rays, teams have coached their people, including Andrew Friedman, who's the GM of the Dodgers, the team they're playing. So they just do a great job of picking a lot of important people. Hey, Steve, this is Zach Goodman. I, I want to talk about you know, the kind of the money ball approach that the Rays take, because they do take one in a sense. And the Orioles are a team that, you know, doesn't necessarily throw around a lot of money either. And as you said, they might sign a few uh, key pieces down the road. But do you think, as the Rays do right now, in taking guys who have failed on other teams and, you know, turn, turning them into somewhat of stars and, and having these players who really haven't flourished anywhere else become good players, do you think the Orioles could kind of follow that same path as well? I mean, they, the Rays have done a really good job with pitching development, so the Orioles are working on that, and obviously the early returns from the Elias regime are good. So you got to do that. <clears throat> the Rays have done an incredible job with some trades, and so it's hard be hard to match that. <laughs> you can't just yeah. say, that's our model. We're going to make trades that we win big. You know, you'd love that to be the case, but how, how can you know? So I think it's hard for any team to say, if we model the Rays, the model would be to go get Glasnow, you know, and go get some of these guys that the Rays got by a trade. Uh, and they just, whether that's their analytics or their front office or some good fortune all mixed in, they've just done a lot right. And they seem to always get a team that is unselfish. And I think Brandon Hyde is trying to develop that in Baltimore where you advance that runner 90 feet, where you keep that other team's runner from advancing 90 feet by throwing to the right base, positioning so well. The race has always seemed to be where the ball is hit. And so all those teams have those charts, but the race seemed to do it better than everybody. So there's some, there might be some secret sauce in there, as Mike Elias would call it, that also helps them. Well, and, and certainly helps the Rays that they have one of the top farm systems in baseball year in and year out. The Orioles have made such significant strides in their farm system rankings going from not being ranked prior to 20, 2019 to being ranked in, in a lot of publications in the top 10 to 12 at this point right now a huge jump for the franchise and right now a lot of those guys are down in Sarasota participating in the instructional leagues now Steve I can't find anything on the instructional leagues what's going on with the games that they're playing down there do you have any updates from the instructional league down in Sarasota no they're not providing any and most teams don't I saw one team did a box score. I was like, wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> but that was just one team choosing to do that in one day. So we're just not getting much out of there. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, you know, I'm not badgering people in the organization every day. Hey, what do you hear today? What do you hear today? It's just it's not that kind of deal that we're able to do. So I uh, wish I could offer you some great reports on what's happening there at this minute, but I can't. We've had some interviews, and I'm going to do some more this week with some guys who were part of the Bowie camp, the coaching staff side, to try to get more insight on some things that happened there. And you know, because it's intriguing to us, because we can't see it. So it's very, it's almost more curiosity than ever as to 
what all happened there. Well, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head, and I, and I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, Steve. I think we're just so starved for anything coming from this farm system because we didn't get that minor league season that will even take instructional league games in October to kind of quench our thirst for some uh, young Orioles baseball. You know, one thing they did this year, and I don't know how it'll compare to other teams, and I don't know how we could even possibly make a comparison, but I do know the Orioles seem to do a great job in connecting to their individual minor league players. And, you know, we're talking 100 to 200 guys uh, who weren't at Bowie. And so, and I interviewed some of them late in the year. I talked to Mason McCoy. I talked to uh, Drew Rahm. I talked to Brandon Hannafy. I talked to some of these guys. And what they told me was impressive. And, they, you know, the Orioles were really keeping tabs. Some of them were lucky. They had great facilities in their area where they could do uh, some analytics and some data in addition to just their workouts. Some played in leagues. Uh, I forget, I think it might have been Drew Rahm who told me that he pitched against some former major leaguers in a, league, in a high level oh, wow. league. So, I mean, these guys did various things to help their cause. And I think if we could interview all 100 guys, we'd get 100 different stories about how they tried to advance their career in a year where there were no games. And the guys who did it the best and really took it seriously, which was. 100% of who I've talked to, but I granted that's a small percentage of all, uh, I think we'll see good things in years to come. Yeah, and from a player development standpoint, obviously that's kind of the the point of the Bowie League and the point of the Instructional League down in Florida, but do you kind of see the Orioles giving these players almost plans to follow and what things to work on specifically and how they individually can become better players? Do they give them plans of, of those kind? Yeah, they do, but and that's not new, though. That's been happening for years. So, I mean, I do think some fans think before Elias got here, nothing good happened in player development, but wow, look at what his group is doing. And I would say the second part, yeah, wow, look at what his group is doing. But uh, before he got here, there were still some good things that happened in player development. I wrote up the other day about Tanner Scott, and when Brian Graham decided, hey, we're going to start this kid at Bowie, He's going to pitch three innings. It gives him time to work on his pitches and his command. And we're going to really work hard between starts on that side session. And this is the development plan for this year to get this kid better. He took a quantum leap forward, and that plan really was great. And so, and I saw that play out in other areas over the years on the farm. But, you know, the best teams do that at the highest percentages constantly. Well, and, and Tanner Scott was certainly one of the high points of a wildly successful Orioles 2020 campaign. A couple of guys who I felt took a step back, and I believe you felt the same, uh, were Hanser Alberto and Rio Ruiz. Uh, to me, Hanser Alberto was not the same player that he was in 2019. And I think Rio Ruiz started the year well, but then took his offensive struggles into the field. And I think that showed the second half if there could be a second half of a 60-game season. I think that that showed down the stretch. Now, you wrote that Ruiz is still pre-arbitration eligible, so he will make close to the league minimum next year, while uh, Hans Alberto could see a raise through arbitration from anywhere from $2.3 million to $4.1 million this year. Now, Steve, with that in mind, do you think both of these guys are back, one of them is back, or none are back in 2021? I mean, I do think the dollars is going to come into play, and fans might say, well, 
two million, come on, in baseball, that's chump change, but it's not chump change today because of what we're going through and all the lost revenue, and look at all these teams are doing cuts. It's not just in Baltimore. And so that does make cancer a tougher decision for me, and I just long-term, I like Rio a little better, even though Hanser's outperformed him on the hitting stat sheet, certainly batting average, but long-term, I think I well, think he might have more of a shot to stick around because he's got a good gap-to-gap approach, he's got a pretty good batting eye. He, up until the last month of the season, was a solid fielder for me, and all of a sudden he's throwing the ball over the diamond. I have no idea what happened there, but it got away from him big time. Um, late in the year. So, you know, neither one of those guys really did a lot of great things to help their cause this year, except for the fact that the Orioles have a two-year sample on both. They like both. They do come at lower dollars, even though Hanser has reached, you know, that level of arbitration now. As far as guys like, you know, Rio Ruiz go and Hanser Alberto and some of these guys that may not be on the team in, in a few years, do you think there's any trade value with them right now? And have the Orioles been shopping any of these guys before arbitration? I mean, it's probably on the lower end of value. And, and so I'm sure they'll, you know, they're always talking. They're always looking in the winter meetings. I don't know it'll be in person, but Things will heat up in December. GMs will be talking, whether it's via Zoom, phone, or in person. So this all is still to come, and they'll li- they'll listen on anything, I'm sure, um, and especially players as they start. Like I think Flyer, they looked at, okay, this guy's really pitching well. His dollar price is only going to go up. We feel we've got some bullpen depth. I mean, if you look at those bullpen trades the Orioles made, I think there were times where. Some of us looked at them and goes, man, they're really giving up a guy who could help them. But they had depth, as it's been proven now, and they acquired young talent. So the bullpen really delivered this year for the Orioles um, in terms of producing production this year and players to help down the road. So um, they're always got to look. you got to look, and they're always thinking long-term. That's still the focus of this organization. Steve, you mentioned that, you know, Two million, four million seems like chump change for Major League Baseball, but not while we're going through what we're going through. The Cubs just laid off a hundred uh, employees in the past week. The Orioles a week before laid off or met, announced they were laying off fifty. Doug Brocale's not going to be back. Um, same thing with Jose Flores, and this is reportedly because of the financial situation because of COVID. And John Mioli in the Baltimore Sun, because of this, hinted that the Orioles might not pick up that $3.5 million option on Jose Iglesias. Do you think this is likely, or do you think that the Orioles are definitely going to pick up that that option? Because I think that's a player that they need to keep to bridge the gap. I think he is, unless they have injury concerns. And, And what he seemed this year was to be nagging, that they can never quite get right. Um... But, I mean, the guy did everything he could do when he was out there, mm-hmm. and he still showed good defensive form. And for me, that, that's one you go the extra mile on with the dollars. That, that's where if they do pick up that option, which would seem a no-brainer most years, that's where other guys, maybe that's where maybe the Hansers of the world, it impacts them. I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe you tie those two together in some way and say, we just can't pick up every player from last year, but here's a couple key guys we're definitely going to. 
Well, and I certainly think that it it hurts Hanser's um, future uh, with the Orioles, in, at least that they have a guy like Taron Vavra in the system. That they're working out Ryland Bannon at second base. That they have Richie Martin, who will be coming back from injury. I, for one, would love to see Richie Martin get some time at second base and just see he and Iglesias on that on those double play combinations up the middle. I think that would be something spectacular to see for Orioles fans. Well, he's a guy that we forget because he was out all year, but. In the second half of the previous year, Richie's bat was really trending up. I mean, he he got to the fastball better. They made some tweaks. They cut out that leg kick, which I think was slowing down his ability to hit a good fastball. And he just made strides. And so what I think the development year loss for him is really big here because the hope was while Iglesias is holding down short in Baltimore, this guy's getting everyday reps in Norfolk. Right. And then he's got it, got it feet under him a little better than, you know, just coming over as a rule five. So, uh, yeah, Richie, we shouldn't forget about him, and we shouldn't forget that he was trending up when we last saw him. Granted, it's been a while. Um, another rule five pick. Richie Martin was a rule five pick, a former top pick in the draft as well. Anthony Santander, uh, he is a finalist for the Gold Glove in right field. He was the Orioles' best player, voted most valuable Oriole this year, really started trending up the second half of that 2019 season. Now, he has finished each of the last two seasons on the injured list uh, with nagging injuries. The guy needs to stay healthy, but he's turning into a star right before our eyes. Who else in this Orioles system is kind of quiet? Could you think could have the same path and quietly make a name for themselves and just burst onto the scene? Wow, great question. I wish I had great answer for you. I mean, you know, you think of the high picks, but you have to hit on some of those others, like Santander. Uh, in a Rule Five situation, guy took him two years to get rid of the Rule Five requirements if yeah. you remember, and had injuries. and I mean, that was a real flyer they took that years later, he's a middle-of-the-order hitter for this team. So, good question. Position player-wise, I mean, I still think Austin Hayes that we saw last September is more the player we'll see mm-hmm. if he can stay on the field. And I think he's had nagging fluke things, too. He got hit by a pitch this year. And I mean, how could he stop that? I mean, right. that's not injury-prone. That's dumb and luck. in the ribs, right. So, I really like him. Um, I really think Diaz has a chance to impress us because Mike Elias was, it seemed to me, effusive in his praise for Diaz. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we can't forget this guy's a top run 100, two home runs in the Futures game. He's the centerpiece of that Machado deal. Uh, and, you know, there are some people that think he can, you can put him in right field for the next 10 years and, if he, if he can play and Mountcastle can play and Santander and Hayes is healthy, the issue then is going to become where are you going to get all these guys and how are you going to get them on the field, which, again, that's you'd rather have that problem than, oh, geez, we need an outfielder and who can play in this organization. Well, absolutely. I think that it bodes well for Diaz um, that with Santander coming back, I think that the Orioles are going to be more likely to DH uh, Santander sometimes to try and keep him healthy because when he when he is at the top of his game, he, he's a game changer. And we saw that all year when he went on the IL. He was leading the, the majors in extra base hits. was leading the team in RBIs. was towards the top of the league in runs batted in. Uh, so if they want to keep him in the lineup, it could be 
fruitful for the Orioles to have Diaz come up and get some time in right field, although I don't think that'll be at the start of the season. Probably not. We hope everything's back to some semblance of normal, and if it is, and there's a triple-A year, you might as well just send him there and let him play every day after you bring him to spring training, let him get his feet under him, and he hasn't played at triple-A, I don't believe yet, so no, he hasn't. Let's get him some reps there. And You know, on the pitching side, I'm a real believer in Michael Bauman, and I'm not sure long-term if he's a starter or he's going to be a devastating late-inning guy with two pitches, that slider and fastball are really something. And I really like his drive. I like his smarts. I like his size. I mean, there's, there's a lot to like about Bauman. I'm intrigued to see what he can do when his time comes. I'm intrigued by Lowther and Wells because I had scouts tell me, and I had my own doubts, well, double-A will be the level where we'll see this catch up to these guys who don't have the big fastball. Well, it didn't. They got better, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in the first year under Elias, so, you know, there are pitchers in the major leagues who do darn well throwing 89-90-91. Zach Greinke. And that's all these guys can offer, but they also offer command and smarts and control and secondaries, and, you know, if you if you talk to Lowther or Wells for five minutes, you'll realize these guys are sharp, they're driven, they're motivated, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say they can't do it until I see them not be able to do it. Yeah, I want to talk about some infielders in the Orioles system for a moment, specifically Ryland Bannon and Taryn Vavra, because there have been reports out of the instructional league that Ryland Bannon is playing a little bit of catcher and that Taryn Vavra has been playing a little bit of center field. So I want to get your thoughts on that and why the Orioles would try to take two infielders by, you know, by, you know, what what they've done in the past and try to turn them into different positions. It doesn't mean a position change. There have been things tried before with players outfielders try infield infielders try outfield a lot of times that instructs they're just taking a look mm-hmm. and if a player can do it or they say hey he looked pretty good out there next year let's give him some games out there it only increases value because baseball's going to a lot of these teams like the Rays for instance have guys who can play at different positions every night but it gets them in the lineup and they move guys around and they have left-handed hitters and right and speed guys and power guys, and they really construct a roster. So if you can become a player, if you're, especially if you're trying to make it, if you're Vavra or one of these guys that is trying to show the brass what you can do, adding talent to play somewhere else is big. So sometimes it instructs. It may not be a position switch as much as let's see what this looks like with this guy, and we got time here to do it, so let's see. Steve, I know we've taken a lot of your time today, and we certainly appreciate you giving us an extended period here on the battle round. One last question before we let you go. Uh, like I said a little bit earlier, I think you can only describe the Orioles' 2020 season as wildly successful. They won 25 games, so their win percentage went up from last year. A lot of rookies got their feet when proved in a small sample size that they belong at the big league level. And I really feel as though this rebuild is progressing very nicely what do you think are the realistic uh, next steps for this rebuild in 2021, and where do you see the Orioles um, as a franchise moving through next season? Well, you know, it doesn't always go in a linear progression. Right. Well, a lot of teams that rebuild and get to the top go from, like, 70 wins to 90. It usually doesn't go 70, 80, 90, 95. Now you win the World Series. But uh, I do think 500 is a nice goal to think about. Um, and so... 
but we still could be in a year or two where they're finding out about a lot of guys. We still have a lot of pitchers, guys I've mentioned like Bauman, Wells, Lowther, this Kevin Smith they added, um, you know, Zimmerman, we didn't see much of him. What can they do and how good are they? And I do think uh, we still can't say Aiken and Kramer are going to make it just because we saw 10 starts, but I think they were encouraging starts. Right. So to me, that group of players, and we could add names to that, um, is really going to be important because starting pitching is still incredibly critical even now with bullpens big. And so if they pitch more like we saw the young kids pitch at the end of last year, then maybe 500 is possible for next year. Or maybe if everything hits right, you know, you do better. So that's probably a good goal to shoot for. I think they've won like lost like 98, I think, if you prorate it out this year, something like that. So they still lost a lot of games, but they played, you know, 60% AL East. We have to keep that in mind. And True. next year they'll play 44% AL East if it's 162 games in the normal schedule. So the schedule will potentially get easier <laughs> next year than it was in the 60 games. Well, yeah, I, I think that everybody in Baltimore has reason to be excited for this franchise as they're moving forward very nicely with this rebuild. Steve, thank you so much for joining the program. We were really excited to have you, and it was a great segment. Thank you again. Oh, you guys, anytime. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. You got it. And that was Steve Molesky from Mass and Sports joining us. Steve is... Steve is the guy when it comes to minor league baseball with the Baltimore Orioles, and he also covers a major league team. He does the post-game show um, after every Orioles game on 105.7 The Fan, so he's a great guy to talk to, and that was a great segment. I was really excited to have him. So uh, thanks again to Steve Molesky for joining us today. Uh, we got to get another break, but before that, do you need your fantasies fulfilled, or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled? PressBox's own Ken Zalas is the number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country. And he enjoy and he joins Glenn and Kyle every Thursday from eleven thirty AM at the PressBox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at pressboxonline.com slash radio or watch the show and get your own fantasy questions in at Facebook.com slash pressbox sports. That's the PressBox Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalas every Thursday at eleven thirty AM, brought to you by CCBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the US. Army. We're going to get a break. When we come back, we're going to take. We're going to go on the payoff pitch around the league, and then we're going to talk about Anthony Santander and some hardware that he could bring in here in the coming weeks. Glory Days Grill's Oktoberfest menu is available now. Our fall seasonal menu is available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new chicken schnitzel or the delicious Prussian pretzel rolls. Glory Days is open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. 
If you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them. With Pressbox's Project Game Day, I'm Glenn Clark, and I'm with you at halftime of every game. And then I'm joined post-game by a panel of experts, including Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and post-game also at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is just the ref's fault all season long. That's PressBox's Project Game Day every game day this season, brought to you by Wise Markets and the U.S. Army. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, What's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. Good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Yeah. Le champion! Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to the battle round here in the press box, uh, Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio, excuse me for the little mistake, the little hiccup. And if you look now to my left, you'll see Zach modeling one of our neck gaiters. And since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks to celebrate our hometown and teams and athletes we love. Pressbox is offering three different types of home team masks, and inc- masks including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter. Like I said, that Zach is modeling over here. Plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. It is important to note that these are decorative masks. They are not CDC approved, but they're perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while you're supporting your teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at pressboxonline.com slash masks. That's pressboxonline.com slash masks to get yours now. And now we take you to the payoff pitch around the league. 
Uh, Walker Buehler struck out 10 over 6 innings, while Mookie Betts, Justin Turner, and Max Muncy contributed 2 hits apiece. To pace the offense, the Dodgers took a what feels like a commanding 2-1 to series lead with a 6-2 victory over the Rays Friday night. And now Zach is going to take us through the rest of the World Series. Alright, so we've got a game on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday, obviously, if needed, for the last couple. And they're all at 8.08 p.m. and, of course, on Fox. So tonight's pitching matchup, we have a pretty good one. It's Julio Urias versus Ryan Yarbrough. And then there's been one announced starter for the whole rest of the series, and that is Clayton Kershaw for the Dodgers on Sunday, October 25th. So a whole week of World Series action coming up if it decides to go that long. One correction for you there. There is no game on Monday. That would make it an eight-game series otherwise. Uh, but no, no game, no game on Monday. There might not be a game on Tuesday or Wednesday either. If the Dodgers win today and tomorrow, they'll win the series four games to one. I honestly think that that could happen because I, I do believe that the Dodgers are the better team. However, I think that with the with the Rays having Yarborough go against Urias today, and is it Urias or Urias? I'm going to go with Urias. I said it both ways. But yeah, I've, I've said it both ways too. Urias. It, it's probably Urias. Um, Yarborough versus Urias, and I think Yarborough has the edge in what's going to amount to a bullpen game for both teams. I think it really amounts to which opener goes the longest because these are the number two and number three ranked bullpens in all of baseball heading into the postseason. Going to be a good one tonight. Another fall classic matchup for the ages. Hopefully, um, it's a little bit closer than games one and game three. Now, the Orioles, we've talked about them a couple of times. We talked about them um, a little bit with Steve Molesky. Anthony Santander is a finalist for the American League Gold Glove Award in right field. Kind of a surprise, along with the other two candidates, Joey Gallo and... Uh, Clint Frazier. And, thank you. And Clint Frazier. Um, to me, for Anthony Santander, this is a continuance of his ascension into one of the better players in the league. I actually said on Twitter just before this season started that I thought that Anthony Santander would be the best player player to come out of this rebuild for the Orioles, not named Adley Rutschman. And then he goes out there, has an 18-game hitting streak this year, hits 11 home runs, drives in 32, and missed a month. He missed a month. He only got in 37 games, and he put up those numbers. When he went on the IL, he was leading the majors in extra base hits. This is a star in the making, but he's got to stay healthy. He's missed the last month of each of the last two seasons, uh, which were both really his only two seasons with an extended look at the major league level. And we, you got to wonder, why was Cleveland willing to give up on him? You asked me this during the week. It had to be, he, was, he had never played above single A. Well, that was part of it, but he also had some really bad injuries. I know the shoulder and the elbow were two injuries he had while he was with Cleveland, so that I think that was a big part of it and the reason they ended up leaving him unprotected. I also think that they probably didn't expect anyone to claim him just because the Rule 5 draft, usually a lot of teams pass. The Orioles have always been very, very active in the Rule 5 draft, many, many guys over the years, but they did pick up Anthony Santander, and there was another pickup they made who is now long out of the organization, but Cleveland... You know, he hit really well for them in the minors. He was amazing for them. And Anthony Santander looked like a, you know, possibly star in the making for Cleveland. But those injuries, they left him unprotected. And he didn't progress probably as, as quickly as they thought he would have. And that's why he ended up falling to the Orioles in the Rule 5. Well, yeah, he's ne- he, he still has never played. That's not true because he played in the minors for the Orioles. But with the Indians, he never played double A. 
he never played AAA. In 2016, he hit 290 with 20 homers and 95 RBIs for their for their single A ball club. Um, but like you said, his previous four—it was his first healthy season in four seasons in that organization. Uh, the injury concerns have not gone away here in Baltimore. But he was a top thirty prospect for the Indians, uh, looking like a stud player. When that dude hits a home run, he gets this look on his face that he's the best player in the game. Now, I'm not saying he looks like the best player in the game. He looks like he thinks he's the best player. In the game, and I love that. I love that swagger that he brings. And for all intents and purposes, he's a really good person too. And he learned English all on his own. When he came to the Orioles organization, he did not speak a word of English, and now he speaks it fluently. And he did that all on his own, which is absolutely fantastic to have the ability to do that. Especially when you consider that English is the hardest language in the world to learn. Um, again, needs to prove that he can stay healthy. The Rule Five. It's the ultimate of crapshoots, right? You look at the Orioles, and they I feel like they've made a pick in the Rule 5 draft every year for 30 years, right? Um, the, the best that they've gotten was Ryan Flaherty, who was a utility player here for about five, six years. Um, he's now not playing, but he's a coach in the San Diego Padres organization, uh, <clears throat> a major league coach. A lot of people think that he's going to turn into a solid major league manager. One day, the other guy, uh, T.J. McFarlane, was a, was a uh, Rule Five pick for the Orioles, I believe, in 2012, uh, and he's still pitching. He pitched for the Oakland Athletics. Actually, had two scoreless appearances in the postseason for them this year. But other than that, there's not really anybody anybody that the Orioles have picked that have been noteworthy. And really, there's only a, a handful of players who have been Rule Five picks who are noteworthy all time. You look at Josh Hamilton. Uh, he was 2010 American League MVP. Johan Santana was a was a, a, a Rule Five pick, won two Cy Young awards in the American League 2004 and 2006. Uh, Dan Ugla, three-time All Star, he had 30 homers in five straight seasons at one point. Uh, Udel Odubel Herrera, excuse me, one-time All Star, career batting average of 276. He had a 25 steal season. And then you have Shane Victorino, the flying Hawaiian, maybe one of the more successful ones, led the NL in triples twice, two-time All-Star, and he won two World Series championships, one with the Phillies, one with the Red Sox in his 12-year career. But that's really it. That's really it for Roll 5 picks. Santander has a chance to place himself among those, amongst those names as one of the best Roll 5 picks all time, again, if he can stay healthy. Yeah, there's one Rule 5 pick that I'm not a huge fan of, but it was Joey Rickard back a few years ago from the Orioles. And, you know, he made sort of an impact, but obviously nowhere near what Anthony Santander has done for them so far. And Santander, I want to talk about his work ethic a little bit because this is a guy who really didn't play a great right field. The first few years for the Orioles, he was never known as a right field, you know, master back in the minor leagues for either of the two franchises. So... He really turned himself into a premier defensive outfielder, which is just insane. And like you said, he learned the English language. Clearly a guy that works very hard. He's a switch hitter, which is super valuable. He plays with a ton of confidence. His dad, by the way, sits behind home plate in almost every Orioles home game, if you walk oh, by there. I did not know that. Yeah, he sits, sits there. So, you know, it, it's he really feels bought into this team. He's very confident. He knows he's one of the best players in this team, and he's made a huge impact. And if he can keep playing the same way defensively with that cannon of an arm and the range he's got, 
spot for a bigger guy. He's going to be a real nice piece for the Orioles down the road, and I hope they can find a way to keep playing him because of all these outfield prospects coming up, and then Heston Kerstad, of course, being you know maybe the longtime right fielder. So Santander has made a great impact, definitely more than even fan favorites in Joey Rickard and Ryan Flaherty. Well, and the thing about Santander, and you watch him, this guy's got 30, 40 homer potential, 100 RBI Easy. potential, 40 double potential. He's never going to steal a ton of bags. Like he, He's a bigger guy. He's not that fleet of foot. But like you said, he has great range in the outfield again, and, and he needs to stay healthy. And here's the thing, man. The Orioles have a lot of outfield talent in their system between Santander and Hayes and Yasnil Diaz and Ryan McKenna, who is arguably the best defensive set, the best defensive outfielder in the system. But look at three of those names, Santander, Hayes, and Diaz. All of these guys have injury histories. They all have it. And then you mentioned Heston Kerstad. He's not at the instructional league right now because of an undisclosed illness. I think we all know what it is, but it's up to him to tell us to you know, cement that. But I look at this team, and yeah, they have a ton of outfield talent, <coughs> especially in right field. <coughs> Excuse me, I apologize. Especially in right field with Diaz and Santander and Kerstad. Who's going to be there? Some, one of these guys... It's going to either have to play left field or be a big, big time trade chip, and that's not, that's before you even mentioned DJ Stewart, who, in my opinion, if he doesn't start hot next year, he's going to be on the outside looking in. Yeah, I think you look at the DH spot as another place you can put one of these extra outfielders. I think Heston Kerstad might qualify to be a DH down the road. He's not that athletic. He's not that great of a defensive outfielder, and he's got that great bat with so much power. So I see him as maybe a future DH. And we always talk about on this show how Nunez is kind of you know wearing out his welcome in Baltimore a little bit. I'm not sure how much longer he'll stay here and, and just to open up another DH spot because Ryan Mountcastle could be there, Anthony Santander, Yusniel Diaz maybe, for some days. They just have so many outfielders. Trey Mancini is mm-hmm. coming back. And so many guys who kind of fit the same profile. And the Orioles will have to kind of figure out a way to make all these guys play and, and, and have positions. Maybe teach them some new positions. You know, maybe see if you know anybody can play third base or see if anybody can play first or whatever it is to make these guys just get in this lineup because they have a lot of big bats. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, man. We don't talk about Mancini enough. Uh, because we all know what happened with, with Trey, and he's finally finished chemo. He'll be five months removed from his last chemotherapy treatment when, when spring training starts. He says he's going to be a full go. He's he's uh, amped and ready to go. I think that the Orioles need to get Ryan Mountcastle accustomed to playing first base every day at the big league level. Agreed. Uh, because, look, do you want Ryan Mountcastle playing left field or do you want Yasniel Diaz playing left field? Because you're going to want Diaz in the lineup. You're going to want Santander in the lineup. This is assuming Diaz is that five-tool player that we expect him to be when he was a centerpiece of that Manny Machado trade. Now, he could come up here and fizzle out. You know, he, he there's there's no guarantee that Yasniel Diaz is going to have a productive major league career. But if he does, and then you have Kerstad coming up after that, Mountcastle's not playing in the outfield. He's not playing in the outfield. And this is another dude who has 40-40 potential. 40, 40 homers, 40 doubles. Not 40 homers, 40 steals. But Mountcastle's another guy who has big-time potential MVP qual- uh, caliber potential. But y- you can't leave him in the outfield with all these outfielders coming through the system. I do think in the next 
few years, one of these big names are going to be traded. Don't get too attached to anybody. Don't get too attached to anybody because they all can't play. There's only nine slots in the lineup. There's only three slots in the outfield. They all can't play. I think especially Diaz. I think don't get too attached to Diaz. I think he's the guy that gets traded maybe soon, maybe this offseason. They look at you know just getting him out of the system because there are so many other guys. And I think being that he has five-tool potential and he hasn't proven that he can't play in the major leagues yet or he hasn't proven that he can either. But he hasn't proven that he's not good, so I, I definitely think that's a guy they'll look to trade over a guy like Austin Hayes or someone else in the system. It, it remains to be seen. I do believe, though, that somebody will get will be traded. Uh, we do have a new edition of Press Box. Adam Ryan's going to tell us a little bit about that while I get Orestes Destrade on the line here. All right, the latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ravens' uh, Super Bowl 35 championship run with Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, Jonathan Ogden, and more helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Ryan Mountcastle and the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles' rebuild. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Excellent work there as always from my co-host Zach Goodman. And now on the line, uh, he covers the Rays uh, on TV for Fox Sports Florida. We have Orestes Destrade on the line for us. Orestes, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. How are you guys doing? Uh, good uh, to be uh, on with you. Yeah, we're we're, uh, we're doing pretty well here, yeah, all things considered. Enjoying a nice World Series here. Glad to see the Rays back in the World Series for the second time in franchise history. Uh, what does it mean for the city of Tampa Bay to see their team so successful despite constantly having one of the lowest payrolls in baseball and really having no true star power in that lineup? Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, this has been uh, an organization that has been – coming on strong ever since 08, uh, the last visit to the World Series against Philadelphia and, and upending, uh, you know, the Yankees and, and again, Boston, you know, to get to that World Series. Uh, Joe Madden, you know, started a kind of a culture here. Uh, no doubt Andrew Friedman, a young Andrew Friedman at that point in time, 12 years, you know, 12 years ago, I guess it's been already. Um, you know, now he's over with, with you guys, with, with uh, the Dodgers, but I think that, you know, it's continued on and kind of the, the batons and passed on to, to the likes of Eric Neander and, and obviously the, the field manager and Kevin Cash has done a phenomenal job. And that culture has kind of been mainly about uh, building, you know, a positive attitude. Obviously, bottom line, I don't care how positive you are, you got to have, you know, production. And, and the production really has come initially from their – uh, baseball ops or baseball ops has really been one of the best in, in the game the last 10 years as far as drafting, developing, uh, mentoring, uh, and obviously trading. And then these guys are all buying into it. And there's a lot of players that, that really, you know, especially young players that want to come over here. And then the retreads want to come over here and kind of restart their careers. And, uh, and it's really worked for them. And, and we have a big fandom, man. You know, unfortunately, you know, yeah, they need a new stadium. Uh, and that would help immensely, and, and that's, you know, for another conversation, hopefully after a, uh, a World Series victory here, if it happens, we'll definitely help push that along. Hey, Aris, this is Zach Goodman. I, I just want to talk about 
more about that uh, that front office with the Rays because it is so impactful. And a guy who really led it there for a long time is Heim Bloom, who now obviously runs yeah. the Red Sox. What did he mean to the Rays while he was there for so many years? Well, an incredible mind. Uh, and, you know, Heim, uh, deservedly so, you know, got the nod over in Baltimore and, and is trying to reshape that, you know, uh, perennial, you know, um, dynasty that has been Baltimore, I mean, Boston for the last, you know, since they won in 04. So a lot of pressure on him, but he's up for it, man, because the guy is really an incredible baseball mind and mixes uh, what I think is a great combination of, uh, yeah, the saber metrics, no doubt, but also, you know, a feel for for players and, and, and who to develop and who to trade for and, you know, who to sign for, you know, big contracts. And now he's going to have deeper pockets to be able to do so. Um, and, and you know he's just another one of off the tree there that's come out and and done an incredible job. You know, team still has Eric Neander, obviously Andrew Friedman. You know has done what he's done, um, and and the list is pretty expansive as far as other guys that have gone on to become GMs uh, and even managers when you think about it. So, um, with the World Series with Charlie Morton going in Game Three last night and being ineffective, the Rays find themselves down. Two games to the one to the Dodgers, who are an absolute powerhouse out there in the they really in, are. in the NL West. I, I, I'm you know in my in my 30s now, and this is the best roster I've ever seen. <clears throat> and it looks like any kind of deficit in the World Series might be an insurmountable hill to climb. What do the Rays need to do to get back into this series and potentially win it? Well, I think. You know, obviously, every game in the World Series is massive. Yeah. Uh, but this one today, this is this is the swing one, man. Uh, there's no doubt that if they can't overcome, you know, their lefty and, and the crafty kid, you know, that is Urias, um, then we're in real trouble. So uh, because now you're looking at a situation maybe reminiscent of 08 when. They did the unthinkable and got the World Series and beat a strong team like, like the Red Sox. Well, they just went ahead and did the same thing, you know. In, in a seven-game series, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, they beat uh, you know Houston, and then Philadelphia was much stronger than them. But but you know, you, at that point, you got to play it on the field. So I think uh, even the Rays back then, uh, a couple of things gone their way, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if they had won. Same thing here. There's no doubt that that the Dodgers, especially offensively, are, are the better team and, and the class team, an experienced team. How many guys, I think they have at least a dozen guys that have been, you know, involved in the World Series a lot these last few years that they've been involved in it. So um, that, that bodes very big. Nevertheless, nevertheless, it's the guy tonight, and I, and I said it before game one, uh, was going to be the, the, the key guy, and, and that's Ryan Yarbrough. Uh, if Yarbs can come out and, and do what he's done, you know, uh, second half of last year and, and pretty much, you know, most of this truncated season, um, then he kind of becomes the, the equalizer, you know, literally equalizes it at 2-2, yeah. two, two, and then you get an opportunity to get back to uh, a glass now, get back to a, uh, a Snell and, and challenge these guys. But if he can't, if he can't man, it's, it's, it's going to be an uphill climb. And by the way, both these two guys are, are, are just gems, man, because they're so hard to square up. I mean, they lead, you know, their respective leagues or in the top thereof in in kind of miscontact or at least not strong contact. Uh, so both these lefties are hard to square up. 
And, uh, and that's something that's going to be a challenge for both offenses, so we'll see who comes out on top. Well, certainly, and it kind of takes you back to 2004 when the Red Sox were down 3-0, and Kevin Millar said, don't let us win game four, because then we got Pedro, right. and then when we win that game, all gloves are off. If you let the Rays win this game, and then you have to face Glasnow and Snell and then Morton again, there's the Rays have a legitimate shot, but like you said, this is the ultimate game. This is the biggest game of the series. They have to win tonight. And with, with that in mind, Orestes, I, I'm i not a fan of, of bullpen games. People that listen to the show know that about me. Uh, and I feel like that the, the Kevin Cash has a bit of a quick hook when it comes to right. his starters. Now, I, I get it. He had the third best bullpen in the majors this year, second best in the American League at 337. But that unit's right. allowed 12 runs. Over the last six games, uh, he pulled Charlie Morton in Game Seven after five and two thirds innings pitched with just sixty six pitches. Th- this bullpen's faltered of late, and do you think that comes from uh, a little bit of overuse? It seemed like Diego Castillo pitched every game in the ALCS. Yeah, I mean he does have an incredible rubber arm, um, but yeah, I agree. I-, I think some of that is being shown a-, a bit, and we'll see. I always say the last couple of years when they won ninety games and made the playoffs, and then this year. How, how resilient this team is. It's incredibly resilient. So that's going to be their test. Now, if they can really bounce back and and, and get to even the series up, get to a Monday, believe it or not, that gives them you know another rest day, mm-hmm. um, it would be dramatic because their bullpen is incredible. It, re- it really is. And and uh, especially with that three-headed monster of, 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 you know, of the Castillo, Anderson, and Fairbanks. Mm-hmm. So if you can get them in, and then rest them, and then get them in for the you know six, maybe even you know seven. Obviously, uh, it, it's going to be the difference. And it, listen, they were the MVP. Those guys were the MVP of this short season. So you got to go with the MVP. I know everybody's talking about you know my Cuban-born compadre Rosarena, and there's no doubt it should be, and some other the offensive threats, including the what I call the secret weapon all this year, and, and, Man, and Manny Margot. Uh, what a what a postseason that guy's had. Oh yeah. Uh, but the bottom line is, I kind of I've bought into it, man. I'm an old school guy, but I've bought into what Cash and Snyder have, have put together. They try to get to five, and and if they squeeze six, great. But 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 pretty much five, and then they they roll the dice with with a combination of uh, of guys, including those big three. And uh, and I don't, I think they'll do it again. Now I will tell you this. The one, again, kind of sleepy guy is Yarbrough. Yarbrough's the type of guy that they've let go a little longer, uh, yeah, barring getting knocked around. Uh, but they let him, he's gone. You know, you've seen him go six, six and two-thirds, seven. And, uh, and, and he's a guy that can maybe, you know, kind of put to sleep a little bit of those exciting bats of the, the Dodgers. There's no doubt they have a, a dynamic offense, uh, uh, you know, all from one to nine. Yeah, absolutely, and a dynamic offensive player that you mentioned a little bit ago for the Tampa Bay Rays is Randy Rosarena. Uh, and any time that your name is mentioned with Barry Bonds, uh, you're doing something right. Eight home runs in this postseason to tie the major league record. I think that record is his to lose. I think he's going to get nine, maybe even ten, to nine, maybe even ten in this <laughs> series. Now, this is a guy who has the potential to be the biggest star. The Tampa Bay maybe has ever had, and that includes guys like Evan Longoria and Carl, Carl Crawford. Crawford. The yeah, the correct. the problem here is that the Rays don't tend to keep these guys. 
uh, Randy Rosarena, if he continues with his progressions, is he's going to be a stud for them for about five more years. But then can Rays fans expect to see him? As, uh, that's a guy that helps you get a new stadium. Are they going to see him packing his bags in a, in a half decade? Um, possibly, but poss- I, I'm going to lean towards uh, not because I really am confident that uh, within that half decade, it's a great question, by the way, but uh, because it's fair to ask. Um, but I think the, the, the stadium issues will have been resolved, and at that point, a greater, you know, immense amount of more revenues w- would be coming in that will loosen, the, you know, the purses. So um, a guy like Randy definitely has five years. And, 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 you know, in fact, I don't have him in front of me, but I don't know how many games he actually played, you know, in this, again, weird you know, statistical seasons. I know, and you needed to play thirty something to, for it to be a full season. So remember, he may not still even have a full season in the big leagues. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if he doesn't, then you're looking at, you know, at six, uh, and they'll pay him. You know, they'll they'll go ahead and, and get beat up with a guy like that in in arbitration, uh, but not in you know the big big boy long contract you know what we're seeing with some of these guys like Mookie Betts has gotten etc and, and you know it's fair to some degree to compare him to Mookie Betts it's unfair to him and Mookie because Mookie's you know I mean come on man you saw he's already had like well he's got three stolen base he has seven RBIs in the, in the postseason he's the second best player in the world next to the great Mike Trout so it's unfair to compare him to Mookie but I will say that this kid has a potential He's still wrong. I, I compare him more to Bo Jackson, honestly, uh, as far as his rawness and, and size and, and potential. Uh, once he continues to learn the game, both offensively and defensively, yeah, he's going to be a superstar. And you're going to have him for five years, I, I would say at least. And you know, and if they, you know, if he's willing to do a sweetheart deal, maybe a little longer than that. Um, but to answer that again, I think a stadium will will uh, help, uh, you know, put the Rays in a better situation. Absolutely. And then if you think about pairing him with a guy like Wander Franco, uh, that would be a legitimate uh, heart of your order that gets you into that new stadium and keeps you winning for several years to come. Now, with that in mind, there was a there was a picture that was put on social media before the World Series started of Wander Franco's jersey with a World Series patch on it, hanging in the locker. Clearly, he's not on the on the roster. What was all that about? I'm not sure. I, I, I kind of saw that, too. And, I, and, and again, I'm not, you know, uh, with, with this COVID scenario and, and, and not being able to, you know, to, to get in as, as, as much in past years, obviously. Um, I, I don't know exactly what that's about, Um you know, but but Wander's a flashy dude that's going to be a superstar, and there's no doubt you know worth comparing to Francisco Lindor in in the the switch hit you know just magic type of a player. But um, but he's also you know he's he's out there talking a little bit. I mean, spring training, you know, or this winter, I can't remember where I was. I saw it. He was talking about a three hundred million dollar contract already. Oh man, you know, he's yet to to put on uh, you know a major league uniform. So. Um, but, you know, you know how some of these youngsters are these days. Uh, all I know is that he's going to be a star. He's going to be here for several years. Um, and, and Brandon Lau is going to be a star for several years. He's tied up for, for a bit with, with a sweetheart deal. Former Maryland uh, Terp. And, 
Yeah, that's right. And uh, and and uh, go uh, go. Uh, what is it? Uh, Fear the turtle. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and then you've got a guy like Austin Meadows, who who you know this year has been slowed with getting COVID and, and a few other you know nicky little injuries. But he's he's a stud. Uh, you know, you really got to you almost forget about him. But he's going to have a fine year when he's one hundred percent next year, hopefully. So they've got like a that that four pack right there. Uh, of uh, Rosarena and, and and Wander and and Blau and 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 my boy Austin Meadows is is, is going to be here for four to five maybe six years and it's going to be something to watch. So a move I kind of questioned over the offseason was Jose Martinez obviously getting traded with uh, Randy Rosarena to the Rays and then the Rays traded Martinez right back to the Cubs. Uh, right. What do you think they lost when they traded Martinez back to the Cubs? Could they have used that extra bat here in this postseason? No, uh, honestly, um, I, I thought that whole thing was again one of these like incredibly well calculated moves by by the Rays. They, they got Martinez for the, the bit of time. The real key to that trade all along was was was, was Randy Rosarena, and uh, and they gave up. You know, I mean, they had, they gave up a number one pick that I think you're going to see shine in in, uh, in Matthew Levitar, uh, the, the big six six lefty. So he's yeah, what he's nineteen years old. He's gonna he's gonna be a stud, you know. So they, they gave up something to get something. But the bottom line is that uh, the Martinez deal was for a bit, you know, good clubhouse presence for a little bit. But uh, when Randy was ready, and and you definitely have enough other moving pieces, you know, it, it's interesting what they've done and 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 what a lot of teams are mimicking. And, and if you go back and talking about World Series and heroes and and former Rays heroes. The one name that should be applauded and, and kind, of, kind of the grandfather of that of this nature of the game is Ben Zobris, because uh, uh, Ben, ben Zobris uh, is is really who the Rays continue to try to find players like him. And so you think of Wendell Brasso, um, you know, a bunch of guys that we have that kind of are interchangeable, uh, lefty righty, play multiple positions, uh, and a lot of teams are going to that. Um, you know, for a lot of reasons, even fiscally, when you think about it, because those guys, they they don't get five, six hundred at bats. They're they're being mixed in in you know in a couple of three guys. So all of a sudden, nobody really can hit forty homers, and uh, so a small market team kind of are going to that Ben Zobers type of you know mix. And um and, and I, I can't you know I think the world of Ben and and uh, and, and what he did and what he's done, and uh, hopefully we'll continue to do. Yeah, Ben Zobrist was one of my one of my favorite players while he was playing. That's just a guy you can put anywhere on the field, anywhere yeah. in the lineup, and he can trip. He, he's just the jack of all trades. To me, he's the epitome of what a baseball player should strive to be, and that's just so versatile. Um, oh, geez. he's incredible, and a switch hitter on top. Of that. Oh, <laughs> hey, at, on. absolutely. I, not not to talk about myself here, but I play in a men's thirty and over league, and my manager sure. referred to me as his Ben Zobris, and it was like the oh, best dude. compliment I've ever gotten as a baseball player. It I, really is. Think yeah. about it, man. This guy, and, and he showed it in in fifteen and in sixteen. You know, for two different teams and and World Series hero uh, and a consummate professional. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of teams are, are, are trying to, you know, without really saying it, but that's that's the, the type of player that they continue to try to find. Oh, yeah, the, the, and the guy's, a, like you said, a two-time World Series hero, so phenomenal player in Ben Zobras. Now, with the, with the Rays, their fans have 
They've seen a lot of success. They've seen players like Ben Zobris and Carl Crawford and now Randy Rosarena. They've seen this team post just four losing records since 2008 uh, after having not posted a single winning record from 1998 through 2007. Yet right. six playoff appearances, two World Series appearances, yet the fans don't come to the ballpark. No. And um, it's hard. It, it, yeah, it's it, it's got and, and and we in Baltimore we get that because fans don't come to our ball, ballpark either, but for a very different reason. Our team hasn't been very good, you know. Um, so my my question here for you, Arrestus, is: Do the Rays need to win a World Series to get that fan base? Is it enough for them to just make it to the playoffs now, or do they need to win that World Series now? Here's the the enigma and uh, of the Tampa Rays fandom um it's huge in tampa bay mm-hmm. I, i'll give you a, an example of how big it is um uh, this was about, i think it was about two or three years ago uh they did a a survey of the most known commodity in the tampa bay area like they were just asking people what what you associate tampa bay with and number one was public Okay, because Publix, <laughs> if you know the area the down store. here, it, it was you know created and headquartered still in 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 Lakeland, Florida, which is right up the road. You right. know, it, it got almost a part of Tampa Bay to some degree, and, and in between Tampa and, and Orlando. And the second was the Rays, and and it, not the Bucks, not the Lightning. So we are beloved. We are just, they don't come to the ballpark. And remember, I think baseball has taken a turn over the last decade or so that you have to, A, yes, have a winning product, but you have to have an attractive scenario yeah. on top of that. And I, and I don't just mean a, a new ballpark, but things around the ballpark. Mm-hmm. There's got to be an entertainment type thing. Because remember, baseball is not football where you tailgate and it's only once a week, you can put a football stadium in Poughkeepsie, and, and you know, people are going to come because you can put an NFL team there, and they're going to come because it's once a week, and they prepare for it, and, 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 it, and it's an event. Uh, you don't even need to put anything around that, that uh, football stadium, uh, just the stadium. But in baseball now, because of so many different things that people can do and, and, and get involved with and stream, and so... Uh, and again, not to pat our own backs, but but we're one of the most watched Fox Sports Net, the FSN, in 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 their eight team that they have. So we get the highest numbers. People watch us uh, when they go on the road. Man, they're glued to to, to the broadcast. Uh, so are they watching it? Yeah. Do they care? Yeah. Do they know them? Yeah. But but a stadium, I think. Yeah, of course, the World Series is going to help. But really, what's going to help dramatically? Is, is fixing the scenario of getting a stadium somewhere on the other side of the bridge, uh, close to the, the, I would really would love it close to Amelie uh, Arena, and, and just make that whole channel side, uh, if whoever knows what, what the channel side area is, if they haven't been to downtown Tampa, it's, it's about to blow up and, and, and see something in the next three to five years blow up, then it becomes a whole, you know, Wrigleyville kind of type scenario. Well, yeah, and I went down to uh, Tampa, the Tampa Bay Rays, Tropicana Field, is just outside of Clearwater, if I'm correct. And I went down to Clearwater for a wedding back in 2013. And it's a lovely town. You know, I, I had a great time. But like you said, not much to do. 
around around that stadium. We had to go over the bridge just to go have a, a little bit of fun outside of the wedding venue. So I do think that they need a new stadium. I do think they need it on the other side of the bridge. And I do think that winning a World Series and keeping players like a Randy Arozarena is going to help them uh, draw fans back into the into the ballpark in the near future. But they got to get it done first. So Arrestus. Thank you so much for joining the program. This has been an excellent segment. We certainly appreciate your time today. Did we lose you? I think we lost him. I think we lost him. That was Arrestus Destrade joining us. I'm so like I'm sorry that we lost him. That that sucks that we didn't get to say a proper goodbye to him. But I'm glad that we lost him at the end because it's definitely better. Oh my dude, that was awesome. That was awesome and. D- little Sylvester Stallone to his voice. Did you did you catch any of that? Didn't think of that, but uh, sure. I mean, I guess if, you, if if you look at it after that, sure. No, and, and the, with without the speech impediment, just the the tone and the deepness of the voice and all that. But man, what a what a great guest! What a great segment! I'm 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 gonna have to shoot him a text and let him know that we lost the call, but he did. We were at the end anyway. All right, guys, we got to get another break. Um, before that, I just want to remind you that every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might, sh- who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Ravens tight end Nick Boyle and wide receiver James Prochet, plus former former Raven Derek Mason, former Oriole Jerry Hairston, and more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. And also remember that if you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them with PressBox's Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime of every game, and he's joined postgame by a panel of experts, which will include... Uh, Ken Zalis and the NFL Chicks, Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and postgame at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is the ref's fault all season long. No show tomorrow with the Ravens on the bye, but Glenn and Rita are with you next Sunday for the massive, and it is massive, Pittsburgh-Baltimore rivalry battle. That's PressBox's Project Game Day. Every game day this season brought to you by Wise Markets and and the U.S. Army. A little late in the show, but we're getting our final break, and then we'll be back to close things out here on the Battle Round. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. PressBox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch net gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple net gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team 
of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Need your fantasies fulfilled, or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? I'm Ken Zalis, and if you missed it, I was Fantasy Pro's number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country last year. And I'm with you every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the Pressbox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, or watch the show and get your fantasy questions in at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. That's the Pressbox Fantasy Football Show with me, Ken Zalis, every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by C. CCBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ravens Super Bowl 35 championship run with Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, Jonathan Ogden, and more helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Ryan Mountcastle and the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles' rebuild. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. Also, you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the Battle Round. Nothing like a little Glenn Clark radio music to bring us back from our break and help us close the show. And now we get to everybody's favorite segment, although Leo Mazzoni last week and Arrestus Destrade this week were up there amongst my favorites all time on this show. Uh, everybody's favorite segment, though, Take the Rake. Uh, we each picked two players last, last week because the World Series was not set yet. Um, and we weren't sure who was going to be there. So you picked a player from each American League team. I picked a player from each National League team. It ended up being you had a R- Randy Arozarena. I had Cody Bellinger. Um, I apologize. I, I always forget your pick. I always forget it every week. Um, so I have to go back and I back. I have to go back and uh, and look at the stats here. Cody Bellinger, uh, since we last spoke. Uh, four hits in, what is that, 16 at-bats. So he's hitting 250. Uh, two of those hits are home runs, two big home runs. The one home run um, won, the, won the ALCS for them, and the home run in the seventh thing to give them the lead for good. The other one helped them win uh, game one, a two-run home run in the fourth inning that got the, so the scoring started, and they, they never lost that lead. So two big home runs there from, uh, 
from Cody Bellinger, four for 16 since last Saturday. Do you have a Rosarena's numbers? I do not have a Rosarena's numbers, but I do have them from the World Series. I do not have them for the past seven days. Uh, a Rosarena for the World Series was two for 10. He hit that monster home run last night to give um, to give him eight for the postseason, the tire record. As I said to, to Orestes on the program, I think that that record is his. I think he's going to get to nine, maybe 10, maybe even 11. Let me look up his game logs here real quick. Since the 17th, he's only played in four games, so he has three for 14, but he has two home runs as well. Three for 14 is worse. It's a little lower than 250. It's a little lower than 250. Dude, I hate to do it. I think I got to win here. I, I think I got a win here because, sure. look, look, Rosarena's home run came in garbage time last night. It was in the ninth inning in a 6-1 to ball game. They made it 6-2. to two. That was the final score. Cody Bellinger's home runs were huge. They were monster home runs. The one won the, AL, won the NLCS. The other one kick-started that, that Dodgers offense and led them to an 8-3 to win in game one of the World Series. I don't like to give myself victories, but I'm taking this one. No, I, I, I agree. I, I, I think I, I take Bellinger as well. Yeah, so that means that I get to pick first for potentially the last two games, but potentially the last four games. And I can't pick Bellinger again, and I really, really want to. Really want to. I'm going to make this easy on you because I think I know who you're going to pick based on who I pick. I'm taking Corey Seager. I'm taking Corey Seager. He had a big ALCS. He was the NLCS. He was the NLCS MVP. So I'm taking Corey Seager this week, and I think that means who I know who you're going to take. I'm going to take Mookie Betts. Yeah, you have to. You have to. I, I left him out there for you. He's been real hot. I mean, you, you can't not take him right now. He's just hitting the cover off the ball. 1,012 OPS in this World Series right now. Got to take Mookie Betts. Yeah, and it's it's a great choice. I just, I'm just i feeling Corey Seager. Corey Seager was a stud rookie of the year. It was an MVP conversation, and then he, he needed Tommy John surgery, which was Really the reason that Manny Machado ended up in L.A. in 2018. Last year was his comeback season. He hit 40 doubles, but the power wasn't there as far as the home runs are concerned. He is fully back to being who he was before the Tommy John surgery, and Corey Seager is going to have a monster end to this World Series. That's going to do it for the baseball portion of the bat around today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Ravens are on a bye this week, so we're not going to get too much into it. We'll talk about the Steelers matchup next week at the end of the show. But this Ravens game against the Eagles, it was 30-28. to That score was a lot closer than that game actually was. The Ravens were up 24-6 to to start the fourth quarter. That game, in my opinion, even when they scored the touchdown to put them a two-point conversion away from tying, it was never in question. To me, it was never in question to me. The, you, the, Miles Sanders had that long run where the fumble was forced and they ended up scoring on a fumble recovery. They had, in my opinion, one of the most garbage touchdowns ever scored against the Ravens on that touchdown pass that, that um, pulled them within one score where Marlon Humphrey and uh, Marcus... Marlon Humphrey just looked flat-footed and Marcus Peters jumped too soon and the ball went over the tip of his fingers. It was an easy easy touchdown for the Eagles. I, I think that the Ravens played back on their heels a little bit because they had such a big lead. Offense still left a lot to be desired, but what I did see, and I'm sorry, I know you want to have a chance to talk. I apologize. What I did see from the Ravens' offense in the second half 
was Lamar looked more like the player in the second half than he was last year, where he took that game over. He had some big runs. He looked a lot more accurate on his passes than he did in the first half. I think they went into halftime, and I think he said, you know what, enough's enough. I'm taking over. He clo- he iced the game with that 20-yard run in the fourth quarter uh, to give them a first down and take away all hopes for the Philadelphia Eagles. So close win, had a lot of people on the edge of the seats. Not me. Again, for me, game was never in doubt. Yeah, I think the Eagles took advantage of an injured Marcus Peters. He had been limited all week in practice with that thigh injury, and it really was acting up at the end of the game. It seemed like he was on the field a lot because the offense couldn't stay on the field, and he just started slowing down there at the end. He got that 49-yard pass interference call. He got beaten on a two-point conversion. He got beaten in the end zone for that touchdown. And, you know, I think they just kind of took advantage of him and, and, and tried to score those points at the end. Sort of a comeback, I guess you could call it. They didn't end up winning. But, yeah, Ravens need to get it figured out offensively. You know, need to start finding more targets to throw to. I think the trade deadline is going to be a big opportunity to find one of those. Lamar has looked okay. I thought he looked better in that Eagles game than he had in the past few. So, you know, just got to keep being accurate. I hope he keeps running the ball. It's better if they just keep running the ball with Lamar, give it to him on the read option, and just let him run because that's where they find their success. That's what they did last year, you know, a 1,000-yard rusher. So, you know, the Ravens will get it figured out. I'm confident in that. Yannick Ngakwe, new addition to the Raven defense. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to you know, put up a tough fight against the Steelers. It's going to be a really nice addition to this defense when you have Yannick Ngakwe on one side and Judon on the other. You, you can't double anybody because one of them is going to be running free if you do that. Um, really big move for the Ravens. The Ravens took off after the bye, bye week last year. I expect more of the same. Going to be a big matchup with the Titans. I, I with the Titans with the Steelers uh, next Sunday. I honestly don't know who I'm rooting for tomorrow between the Steelers and the Titans. I, Titans. Uh, you're saying Titans, but but I look at it. If the Steelers win, they're six and zero, and they have a ton of momentum going to play the Ravens. If the Steelers lose, I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If the Steelers win, they're 6-0, they're due for a loss. That's what I meant to say. If they lose tomorrow, they're angry. They want to come in, and this is for first place. Now, look, I want the Ravens playing every team at their best because I think the Ravens are better than most teams, and I want to see them you know, assert their dominance and their will in every game. I do like that they signed Des Bryant to the practice squad. I don't know if that's official yet, but I think it's happening. Um... I think that he may may be able to add an element to the Ravens' offense that they're lacking because they really only have one true receiver who's getting it done. I think that Duvernay um, is due for a bigger push in the offense, a bigger role in the offense. Dobbins, because of the Ingram injury, had a ton of touches, a lot more touches than he's ever had uh, in this past game. I think that they're finally gonna they're finally getting him involved in the offense, and I think that that offense goes not only as Lamar goes, but as Dobbins goes. And if he's on the field more, it's only bo- going to bode well for this offense. Guys, we are running really late today. We got to get off of here. Thank you so much for joining the bat around. Special thanks to our guest, Stan the Fan Charles, Steve Molesky, and Arrestus Destrade. Really fantastic show for you all today. I hope you enjoyed it. And we will see you next week to talk more baseball, uh, both Orioles and National. Take it easy, everybody.